my name's Jeff, if we haven't met. There's been lots of new faces around here, which is exciting. Um, and actually, before we get into the sermon this morning, I'm going to introduce, we have new members who went through our membership class, uh, and um, I think they're all at second service. So, so sorry, but we did do slides so you can see them, and then we'll pray for them. So Chris and Laura Walters, they're often at first service sitting right over here, but I think they'll be at second service today. Uh, But they have gone through membership. Dan Whitney, go ahead, you can just go through. Dan Whitney, Dee Guzzi, Dee's usually here first service too, but I think she's second service today, and Jacob Bell. So uh, Jacob just married into our church family with Sarah Whitchurch Bell, who's on the piano today. Um, So if you see them, welcome them, be excited that they're a part of things. Lots of new faces around here, and I think we have like, don't go looking for this, but I think there's like three pregnant women, pregnant moms in our church too, so, um, because you'd never know, right? Anyway, let's pray. Let's just stop there, Jeff. Let's just pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we are grateful. Um, Really, across you, we believe there are many ways that a church can be healthy and growing, uh, your word says that we were made, as, as Maddie even just prayed, we were made in, in your image. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans that we are called to be conformed to the image of the Son. And we do want to be a church. Maybe that should always be our primary measure of health. Are we growing to look more like Jesus and be more like Jesus and live this Jesus life? And so we celebrate that. We know you're moving in our church Uh, But we also celebrate new faces and new people and new babies and these new members, uh, specifically these new members this morning. Uh, Your word tells us, God, that you have gifted everyone in each local church family around the globe with gifts to add to the edification and the beauty of that particular body. And so we know these people, we just saw their faces. We know that you, Holy Spirit, have gifted them to make Crossview a more beautiful place. And we pray that we would steward those gifts well um, and that uh, they would grow to be an ever more present part of our church family. Uh, We're grateful, uh, Jesus. We're grateful most of all that you are here with us. And we do pray as we talk about the word of God this morning. And Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, well, it's Christmas season, so I went looking for something moderately funny. Again, I don't expect massive laughter. Just want to set the table. But this is a story I came across, Christmas story that I thought was funny. Uh, the, the person is telling the story in first person, and they say, It's Christmas morning, and I'm opening my gifts. My dad says, Open that one next, buddy. And he points to a box, which I open, and inside is one of those obnoxious singing and dancing robot Christmas trees. I'm a bit shocked, as I had pointed out how much I hate these things when we went shopping the week before. I say, uh, Dad, weren't you listening when I said that, that I thought that these were the most annoying things ever created? My dad says, I know, I know. Open up the next one, and he points to a long, heavy package. I open it up to reveal a sledgehammer. I say, is this for what I think it's for? And my dad says, and you thought I wasn't paying attention. It's good. That's the appropriate amount of laughter. Thank you. That's good. 
It's a silly story, but it's kind of a theme. We're going to be looking at Jesus as the Word of God this morning, but it's Advent season. We're preparing for Christmas season. We love to talk about Emmanuel in this time of year, God with us. And I think you'll, we're going to look at several different Old Testament passages. I think you'll hear a theme that God is paying attention to you, that God sees you, that he gets you, he understands you, he knows you, he loves you, he's with you. Some of you are entering into a December that is going to be fabulous. One of you is due in two weeks, right? It's gonna, hopefully it's just a fabulous December. But others of you, it's not the December you were hoping for. And it's not the December you were asking for. And one of the beauties of Advent season is it, it gives us an opportunity to practice waiting on God. Waiting on God to come. Our ultimate hope as Christians is the return of Christ when he finally and forever makes all things new. And so we prepare our hearts for God to come, even when things aren't how we want them to be. Uh, I I kind of alluded, I, I set the stage, but I didn't go too far last week around what we're doing in our series here, Connecting the Dots. We got four dots. Alyssa makes our slides, and if you ever talk to her, there's always a great story behind. I, I tell her what I'm doing, and then she comes up with a way of visually catching it. I think it's a great little way of catching four dots. We have four weeks here that we're going to talk about things, and I want to connect the dots from the Old Testament into the New Testament and into really King Jesus here. But we're not going to look at traditional passages. Uh, There are, we have in the past, and we will again at Crossview. But this year, we're going to look at some not-so-traditional passages that prepare us for the coming of Jesus. And I actually have a hunch that a lot of what we're going to look at are things you've never looked at before. I just, I have a hunch. Last week, we talked about the Trinity to kind of set up what we're going to do over the next four weeks. And if you were here, if not, I'll I'll give a refresher. But I talked about how this idea of the Trinity, that we encounter the one true God as one God in three persons. We could say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are all God, but yet they are also distinct from each other. And there's a lot of mystery around that, but it's beautiful because it tells us that our God has forever been a community of love. The recipe, I said, for understanding or even becoming aware that this is who the one true God is, is threefold. There's three ingredients. We're primarily in this series going to talk about the first two ingredients. Ingredient number one, which we'll spend a lot of time in, is the Old Testament story. I said the Old Testament gives us, you could say, the playing field for talking about God. If you go off of the field, you're out of bounds. Uh, We only talk about God through the lens and the story of what has been revealed to us through the scriptures. The the Old Testament gives us the initial revelation of who this God is and who we are in light of who this God is. And so we restrict ourselves to very biblical language and ideas and ways of thinking about it. The second main ingredient then is Jesus. Jesus happens. (laughs) 
And the apostles are wrestling with, who is this man? Who is this person that I'm encountering? And then we talked last week a little bit about how Jesus talks about God and himself as father and son in this unique relationship. And he'll talk about one who is coming after him, the spirit. And, and Jesus will talk about the Old Testament story. And, and, I, and I said, reinterpret it, but really bring ultimate clarity of what was always there and always meant to be seen. So ingredient one is the Old Testament. Ingredient two is Jesus himself. And then ingredient three, which we'll talk a little bit about on New Year's Eve and more later on in 2024, we'll do a whole series around the Holy Spirit. But Pentecost happens too. <laughs> the Spirit comes. And that, those three things are really the primary ingredients that make up the recipe for us to understand, to understand that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, what we're going to do is I want to show you how the Old Testament never talked. You wouldn't know, you wouldn't know the Trinity from the Old Testament per se, but there are ways that the Old Testament gives us, you could say, shelf space in our mind to prepare us to encounter God in this way, to prepare us that God could actually come into our world as a human being. Now, we don't always see these, but they're there. They're little breadcrumbs. And I want to, what we're going to do is over the next four weeks, walk through some of these breadcrumbs that tell us this is one big continuous story and it's all about Jesus. What we're going to do is we're going to look at four attributes of God, but what I want to help you see is that they are more than attributes. And, and, it, and if what I'm about to say gets a little confusing, just wait till we read our first verse this morning. The reason we're starting with the Word of God is because of how clearly this is portrayed by John at the beginning of his gospel. But there are four attributes of God we'll be talking about over the next four weeks. Today is the Word of God. Next week, we're going to talk about the name of God. In three weeks, we'll talk about, or two weeks, we'll talk about the wisdom of God. And then on Christmas Eve morning, we'll do something else in the evening. But in the morning, we'll talk about the glory of God. These are all phrases that are used in the Old Testament to describe our God. But, but in some passages, they begin to take on a personality of their own. Now, God has attributes just like anything has attributes. This table in front of me, we could say this table is flat. It's made of wood. It's flat. We describe the table by saying it's flat. Flatness isn't a thing in and of itself. It's, it's, it's just an attribute, a description of the table. We could talk about you. You might enjoy it. I could talk about how intelligent you are. We could talk about your intelligence. But your intelligence is not you. I, don't, I, I interact with you. Your intelligence is a description of you. But when we begin to talk about a God who is holy and other and different, the biblical authors are wrestling with ways to try to describe and explain their encounters with this Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this God who has always been a community of love. And so they, they talk about the attributes of God, but in some of the passages, it becomes confusing. Are you talking about God himself, Yahweh, or are you talking about the word of God? I can't tell. There seems to be a blurring of lines here, and I'm not sure. That's about, we get a blurry description in the Old Testament, and then Jesus brings unbelievable clarity. <laughs> so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to I'm actually really excited about this. Um, I told you I've never heard a sermon series on this, but it's all in our, I think you're going to like, I think you're going to like, it. I'm excited. 
The last thing I'll say, and then we'll actually get into this, uh, I'm going to be using the New American Standard today. I don't want to say too much about translations. We typically have been using the New Living Translation. I've been, I, the only way you get to know a good translation is you've got to use it. And I, I think I've shared with you, four of my seminary professors were on the committee for the New Living Translation. There's like a little subcommittee for every book of the Bible in the New Living Translation. And I heard them talking about it and the, the process, their, their thinking pattern. When you take a class on a book that they translated and they're, they're telling you, oh, when we were doing this, we had to think about this or that. Uh, the New Living Translation, though, follows a philosophy that's a bit more, we would say, thought for thought. It's a great translation. If you're just reading through, it's very readable. That's why I like using it on a Sunday morning. It's very readable and accessible. But if you ever dive in, which I highly recommend, if you're just going to study a book of the Bible, sometimes it's good to read multiple translations. And I am going to read, I'm actually, it's kind of fun because I, I really came alive to Jesus in college and this was my Bible. <laughs> I mean, when I talk about all my possessions that carry meaningful history for me, this is pretty near the top for me. The New American Standard is a little bit more of a word-for-word -word translation. Even that's a little misleading because if you ever study Greek and Hebrew, you can't do word-for-word. -word. The, the, the word order is just different in those languages. But, but it just, it's just a little bit of the philosophies. And, and the reason I want to read from the New American Standard this morning is because what we're going to look at is this phrase, the word of the Lord the word of Yahweh, and the New Living Translation does a little bit different. It's, it's all good. They're, they're just trying to help you access the story, but, but the New American Standard will be a little bit more helpful for us this morning. So if you want to join, you can follow along in the slides, or uh, maybe you didn't bring a New American Standard this morning, so you need to open up your phone, or you can look in your translation. I mean, it's, it's, it's all good. But we'll read the first five verses, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, in the beginning. If we had even more time, we could talk about John restating the creation story this way. But in the beginning was the Word, and this is what I mean. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we're going to do this with the Word this morning, but we, we'll do this next week with the name and then the wisdom and the glory. We could say it all. The name was with God, and the name was God. The wisdom was with God, and the wisdom was God. The glory was with God, and the glory was God. Here, John says, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, we're on holy, sacred ground. This is the, the mystery of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are all God, but they are distinct from each other. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, we're going to talk about the audacity of John here to say these things. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. I love verse 4. We'll come back to verse 4 in the very end. In him was life. I mean, if you're here this morning looking for life, you're feeling depleted from life, you know where you go to find life, Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, the light of humanity, <laughs> And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or couldn't overcome it. The light was too strong. It's a pretty cool introduction to the story of Jesus. God's word is something that is God and also somehow distinct from God. We would say distinct from the Father and the Son. What a way to begin a story. And it leaves me with two questions out of the gate. Who does John think he is <laughs> telling us what was there at the beginning? John wasn't there. <laughs> I mean, 
the audacity to start a story this way. I love it. And secondly, where does he get this language of the word? Do you know how many people have read this story for 2,000 years? Where does he come up with the idea to use the word as a way of talking about this baby who was born on Christmas Day? So we're going to look at three passages that I actually think are in the background here for John as he's telling us about the word who was God and was with God. The first is in Genesis chapter 15. We only need to read one of these verses. Uh, What we're looking for is the phrase, the word of the Lord. The Lord is in all caps. Uh, The the word of the Lord, the the word of Yahweh. Uh, It's a phrase that it, it... It comes up oftentimes in the Old Testament, especially with the prophets. And and it it comes just like, it's like a message. Like, oh, I know the message that the word of the Lord came to me. I know the message that I'm supposed to communicate, right? That happens over and over and over again in the Old Testament. But isn't it interesting that the very first place in the whole Bible where we see the phrase, the word of the Lord is in Genesis 15, verse one. And let's read what it says. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, or we know him as Abraham in a couple chapters, in a vision. We'll talk about that in a second. But this is what God says to Abraham, do not fear. Again, in this theme of like God is with us. He sees us. He gets us. He's paying attention. Do not fear. God could be saying this to you this morning. Don't be afraid. I am a shield to you, and your reward is very great. It's a good word. It's good news. But what I want you to see is that the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. In other words, the word of the Lord was something that Abraham saw. I'm up here speaking to you, and you don't see, you only here. However, here the word of the Lord is coming to Abraham and he sees it. Or maybe this morning we would say he sees him. (laughs) It's pretty unique. We're learning here at the early, I mean, it's just, again, this is just a breadcrumb. It's just the beginning, but it's the first place that the word of the Lord comes to someone and it comes in a visible way. We're learning that the the, the word of the Lord can be seen, can appear. (laughs) And we we should be, and this is one of the things where I I still think we're learning how to read narrative, like Hebrew narrative, and understand what the authors are trying to communicate to us and how this narrative works. But we're meant, the, the, the Bible is meant to be read over and over and over again in community. And so the first time you read through this, you probably don't notice it or pay any attention. Maybe it's not till the 10th or the 15th or the 20th time, but you're reading through the story a lot and you're reading it in community. And you, be, and you have, that's why we do Bible studies here across you, because you'll be in community and be like, hey, man, I've never noticed. Did you see that Abraham saw the word of the Lord? What does that mean? I don't know what to, I don't know what to, and this is, you and I want the answer immediately, but the Hebrew authors don't care about that. <laughs> They're like, well, let's just wait until 1 Samuel to bring this up again. So let's jump to 1 Samuel chapter 3. You're an astute Bible reader. You've noticed that the word of the Lord can be visible, but you've kind of forgotten about it. And then you 
you, you pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and word from the Lord was rare in those days. And notice, paired with that, word from the Lord rare, and visions are infrequent. And you're like, hmm, that's an interesting pairing because usually you don't see words <laughs> unless you're reading, right? And so I wonder, was there, is there another time that the word of the Lord was, was visible in a vision? Oh, yeah, Genesis 15. Okay, I've seen this before. And it happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. That the Lord called to Samuel. Again, here's a God who sees you. He gets you. He's paying attention. At the right times, he, he comes in very profound ways. He's doing this for Samuel now here. It's one of those moments for Samuel Samuel says, here I am, but he doesn't know it's God speaking. So he runs to Eli and he says, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. And notice this, verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord been yet revealed to him made visible. And we're getting into some of this blurry line. Are we talking about the Lord? Are we talking about the word of the Lord? Is it the same thing? Is it, is it, are they distinct? It's just, again, we're in the Hebrew narrative here. We need Jesus for clarity, but, but we're getting some breadcrumbs. Verse 8, so the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy and Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And then here it is, verse 10. Then the Lord came and stood and called out at other, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. So we've got this thing going on where the Lord, the word of the Lord, there's revealing going on. And now the Lord is present and described as standing before Samuel. I mean, it'd be hard to picture anything other than the Lord in some kind of human form standing there talking to Samuel. It's just kind of, again, you, you sit with the text, but it's, it's there. We'll just go to the end of the chapter, verse 19. Thus Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fail. In all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And listen to how this chapter wraps up. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. <laughs> and again, now we're just like, okay, what's going on? But there's something cool going on with this word of the Lord. Uh, being made seen, being, being, being visible. Again, remember, the Old Testament narrative is just the first ingredient of our recipe for the Trinity. We meet Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, and then we go back and we read the Old Testament with Jesus as our guide, learning how to see him in there. 
But we'll go to one more, one more passage. I think this one's my favorite, Jeremiah chapter 1. We'll pick up in verse 4. This is how this unit gets introduced to us. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, which is something we'll see again and again throughout Jeremiah. Again, that's not surprising to hear a prophet say, the word of the Lord came to me saying, again, here's this good news that God, I mean, when, when, when you're part of the family of God, he sees you. He's paying attention to you. This is what God says to Jeremiah, but he could say the same to you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart. I have good work for you to do in my name. To Jeremiah, he says, I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. And I said, alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. Verse 7, but the Lord said to me. Now, wait a minute. I thought it was the word of the Lord that came to me. But now the Lord says to me, do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And then we get to verse nine. Remember the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, but in verse nine, then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched his mouth. (laughs) You understand messages don't stretch out their hands and touch people's mouths. (laughs) So again, we're just, it's blurry. Is it, is it, is it Yahweh or the word of Yahweh? What, what's going on here? And, and, and is it just a message or it seems to be somebody, it seems to be God in human form, reaching out his arm, touching Jeremiah and saying, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow to build and to plant. It's three passages. They're, they're, not, they're not your traditional Advent passages, but if, if we are students of this narrative, there's something in us that says, wow, here's a God in the Old Testament that is, there's some blurry lines. There seems to be some distinction here. And this God can be visible. It seems even Almost maybe I, should, maybe I should expect that someday God would enter into the human story as a human being. I mean, just little hints and little breadcrumbs that make a lot of sense once Jesus shows up. Now, again, why does, why does John go about saying such audacious things to begin his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Well, I really do personally believe that Jesus is the one who got the apostles looking for these things and thinking about these things. First of all, you have Jesus in his earthly ministry saying in John chapter 8, I mean, this whole chapter is amazing. But in John chapter 8, verse 56 Jesus says this, and it sounds a little different when you've just read Genesis chapter 15. (laughs) Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus, what do you mean Abraham saw your day? Well, go back and read Genesis 15. He saw the word of the Lord. (laughs) I mean, Jesus said these kind of things to to get the apostles thinking and looking, looking for these breadcrumbs, looking to understand this whole story. 
And I've said before, I think, you know, there's this amazing story in Luke chapter 24. The disciples are on the road, a couple, it's this pair, likely a married couple on the road to Emmaus. And the resurrected Jesus is walking with them and explaining how the whole story of the Old Testament is all about him. And I've said I would trade my whole seminary experience for that conversation. I just have a feeling that the resurrected Jesus was meeting with the apostles and saying, hey, look, the Old Testament is your scriptures for now. (laughs) It's before the New Testament was written. And I want to help you see how this whole story has always been about me. This is the fulfillment. This is the culmination. This is the hope of humanity and of the world. So John begins his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. But John then goes a little bit farther. I mean, the whole first 18 verses are incredible. If you've never read them, read them more than once. John 1, 1 to 18. We will probably come back to these verses because some of our attributes overlap in this beginning of John's gospel. I don't think that's an accident, actually. But we, I want to read John chapter 1, verse 14 this morning. It's a famous verse. It's an incredible verse. John writes a few verses later in chapter 1, and the Word, this Word who was there at the beginning, this, this Word through who all things came into being by this Word. Within this Word is life itself. <laughs> John says, this word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten, or you might say the one and only from the father, full of grace and truth. Again, John is he's using our ingredients. He's using language from the Old Testament like crazy in these first 18 verses. He's using language he's heard Jesus use about himself. No one knows the Father but the Son, and no one knows the Son except the Father, (laughs) the one and only. And he's he's creating this recipe where, where a few hundred years later, then the church will land on this language of Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But John is reading the story and understanding that that the story that Jesus had to enter into our story to save us. That Christmas is the ultimate fulfillment, the longing. And and even though we're surprised that God would enter in and become a human, in fact, maybe, just maybe, there were multiple hints along the way. And if we were paying attention, we would have seen it. (laughs) They were subtle, but they were there. John says the word became flesh. He means the logos. That's the Greek word. The word, the idea, the logic, the reason, the reflection, the meditation. You could say the self-understanding of God became flesh. Human flesh and blood. God became one of us. Jesus is the word of God spoken so we can understand it. Embodied so we can see it. Actually, and even as we move forward into communion in a few minutes, so we can feel it. Feel the resurrected reality of Jesus. The word translated into a human being, the ultimate translation of who God is. 
into our world and into our stories, God has spoken his word and the word is Jesus. All you need to know about God and all you really need to know about life is right here in Jesus. I say this from time to time, but Jesus really, I believe this, He's the answer to every one of your real questions. He's the solution to every one of the problems you're facing or carrying. He's actually the satisfaction of all of your inner desires. Everything you really long for, satisfied in Jesus. And he's the fulfillment of every one of your needs. If you can learn how to hear this word, see this word, encounter this word, life, you will know life. All you need to know about God revealed in the person of Jesus. And because he has entered into the human story, all you need to know about what it means to really be a human. And if you're honest and thoughtful, there are a lot of competing narratives in your world about what it means to be human and what you need to be human, and what, you, what, 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 you're really, what, what you're really longing for and desiring. But Jesus is our definition. He tells us what it means to be human. You could say that into our world of death, God has spoken the word of life. That word is Jesus. Into our world of darkness, God has spoken the word of light. Into our world of sadness, God has spoken the word of joy. Into our world of despair, God has spoken the word of hope. Into our world of injury, God has spoken the word of pardon. Into our world of hate, God has spoken the word of love. In John chapter 1, John says that in him, in the word of God was life. You may want to know what that kind of life would look like for you. Maybe you're like, well, Jesus is God, of course, but what does that look like for me? I'm, I'm entering into a December that's not what I wanted or I didn't ask for. And part of the joy of following Jesus, we take discipleship very seriously here at Crossview, is that Jesus shows us the way. And it's really important. It was really, really important to the early leaders in the church. It should be really important to you and I that whatever it means to be a human being, God has experienced. And we could go down quite the list. I just, I, I honestly didn't even do too much. I just, I just wrote some things down. And, and if, you, if you know what I'm referencing, it'll click. And if you don't know what I'm referencing, I want to encourage you. We're at the beginning of December. Maybe one of the best things you could do for your soul, for your thirst for life, is to, to pick up one of the Gospels and read it. John's a great one. I mean, the kinds of things we're talking about, John, John works very hard in his narrative to make rather explicit, rather clear that Jesus is the Word made flesh. I mean, he starts his story this way. If you're looking for the more traditional Christmas stories, you might want to look in Matthew or Luke. And if you want the quickest run, go, go for Mark. But, but grab a gospel. I don't care which one. Start it today. Start it this afternoon. Start it this evening and read through a gospel and look at what happens when the word of Yahweh enters into our story. And see what you can learn from him. Because I, I was just thinking, you know, life isn't all easy for all of us. And especially, I, I, I listen. 
Some of us have more time with family in the month of December, and sometimes it's even harder. (laughs) But what do we know about Jesus, the word of Yahweh made flesh? Well, we know that Jesus knows what it's like to be questioned by family members. Jesus knows what it's like to be doubted by family members. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend. Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned by friends. He knows what it's like to be denied by a friend. Jesus knows what it's like when people write false stories about him. Jesus knows what it's like to experience unjust suffering. And when John says that in him is life and light, and then you begin to read these gospels and you learn about this Jesus, you begin to discover, wow, Jesus remains light even in the darkness. And in fact, his light overwhelms the darkness. The darkness can do nothing against it. (laughs) I mean, imagine... Again, specifically for those of you heading into a difficult December, and some of you might not even know you're heading into a difficult December, but imagine going with Jesus who is able to lighten your darkness and the darkness can't touch you. Imagine that. He's come into our stories and we walk with him, we learn with him, we talk to him, we read about him, we pray to him, And we learn this life from him. And we learn how to receive his love, his grace, and his truth. (laughs) I want to end. I I got a little story. Try to to make this a little bit more accessible in a metaphorical way. When we're talking about the love of God and this God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, again, sometimes metaphors and stories and analogies are helpful. I may have shared this story once before, actually. I really like it. It's just a surgeon's little testimony about a married couple he observed. He said, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted and palsy clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be thus from now on. I, the surgeon, had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me and somehow in private. Who are they, I ask myself, He and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze and touch each other so generously, so greedily. The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this, she asks. Yes, I say it will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent, but the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. And all at once, I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with someone so heavenly. Unmindful of me, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. 
And I am so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show her that their kiss still works. Church, a major part of this season is celebrating that the word of life, who has always been, has entered into our story and twisted his body onto the cross to show us that our kiss still works. That no matter how broken or messed up your life is or is on the verge of, Emmanuel, God is with us. God is with you. He gets you. He sees you. You are not alone. And if you can learn to receive his love and walk with him, you will know life. You will know love. I want to pray a prayer that I pray pretty much every day. So I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads. And we're beginning this Advent series. We're kind of jumping the gun a little bit, but so be it this year. (laughs) We're just leaning right into this. God is with us. So I want to walk us through and remind us. I'm just going to pray to Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, you are the Christ above. You are the true God of true God. You are a part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, you are above us, but you are also the Christ below us, incarnate of the earth, physically present in our story. You are the Christ in front of us. And when we see the word of, of God, we see you leading us. We, many of us know, so some of us here are in a season where we see you clearly with the eyes of our heart. You are the Christ above and below and in front, but you are also the Christ who goes behind us unseen. I know there are a few of us here this morning. That's, that's, we, we can't see you. But by faith, we know you're with us. You're behind us. You are not far. You have not abandoned or forsaken us. You're behind us. You are the Christ to our right in our strength. And oh, we love that. (laughs) We love it when you meet us in our strength. But more often than not, if we're honest, you are also really more prevalently the Christ on our left in our weakness. You meet us in our weakness. You are the Christ, Paul says, who, who holds all things together in love. You are the one who has sent the Spirit into our hearts so that we can cry out with you, Abba, Father. You are forming us to be like you. You are changing us from the inside out. You are the Christ who is filling all things everywhere with himself. And Jesus, we just want to meet with you. The word of life, the word of love, the word of God. We want to meet with you this morning. We pray this in your name.